You enter the cavern and it smells bad. Really bad. Bad? Yeah, bad. Well, what do you mean, bad? You know, bad. It it just doesn't smell good. Oh, it's 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 also hot. Oh, well, that's a lot clearer. Um, what do I see? Up ahead, you see three orcs. Okay, I will rush up and attempt to chop off the head of the first orc. Well, ho, 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 you can't do that. Well, why can't I do that? It, it's an active volcano, and there's a river of lava between you and the orcs. Oh, gee, you didn't tell me that. Sure I did. I said, it smelled bad and was hot. What do you expect from me? This time on Becoming DM, we're talking about improving the descriptions of things in your game. Hey everyone, this is John. And this is Danielle. And we'd like to give a special thanks to Adam Kapitoff for submitting this episode idea. Absolutely. Yeah, Adam uh, sent something in a little while back, and uh, and we've kind of been sitting on it for a little while trying to figure out how best to deal with it, how best we wanted to approach it. So thanks, Adam, for sending it in. If you're listening and you say, I've got a great idea for an episode, and they just never talk about this one thing, we would love to hear from you. So if you have an idea for a future episode, let us know. You can contact us on Facebook, facebook.com slash becomingdm. On our website, we're becomingdm.com, and we've got a little contact button there. Or you can reach us on Twitter, on Pinterest, on uh, Instagram. All of our tags there are just becomingdm. Uh, so we'd love to hear episode ideas from you. We still have some stickers left from our promotion uh, about a year ago. So if you've got ideas that you'd like to uh, submit, um, send them in, and we'll, uh, we'll reach out and say, hey, you want a sticker? And send it over your way. <laughs> so let's uh, let's go ahead and get started on our topic today. Um, so I know in a previous episode, Felicia and I had talked about using five senses, five senses for description, and and really, um, really kind of uh, providing more than just a "here's what you see" thing. And in looking back on that, I realized that we really didn't provide a whole lot of guidance. We said, yeah, use smell and, and this, um, but we didn't really provide a lot of guidance on on how to use those senses a little bit better. So we thought that this would um, this would be a good good uh, episode to to pull in and talk a little bit more about it, right? It'll, yeah, it, uh, there's a lot that you can expand with this and a lot of enhancing your general descriptions. Um, you can go a really, really long way by working to expand your vocabulary is actually a really, really great starting point um, as far as improving your descriptions go. Because if you describe every old person that the party has ever met as, you know, uh, it's they're, they're wrinkly. That's an that's a <laughs> old wrinkly or wizened person. Um, you, you won't get as much description as if, you know, they're running into a decrepit old person or a venerated old person. It, it brings different pictures to your mind. Yeah, I mean, all the old people look the same here. I wonder why that is. <laughs> it must be magic. <laughs> but get, get grab that uh, that thesaurus and keep it handy because sometimes that it's just a matter of figuring out a different way to say what you're trying to say. <laughs> 
And also keep in mind that some senses can tie into memories when you're talking about, well, it, it happens to humans all the time. You're walking down a street and you smell you know, the mini donut stand because they're delicious. And you, rem you immediately remember the last time that you and your best person so-and-so were at event X and just having the greatest time ever and just smelling something can trigger a whole slew of memories you can build that into your campaigns yeah i mean rather than saying some saying to somebody like you smell some dead fish <laughs> you could say like hey you smell something in the area that reminds you of when you and your father would being bring in fish from the fishing boat uh that smell of salt water and dead fish mixing together into a kind of um unsettling but also pleasing scent <laughs> <laughs> That oh-so-sought-after bouquet of salt water and dead fish. <laughs> <laughs> but whatever it is, I mean, we're, we're talking about fish here, but it could be whatever, like the scent of a certain a certain flower, um, the sight of some of like a, a father playing with a child, whatever it may be. Just keep in mind that those things can tie into somebody's past for their character that you can leverage, and that gives you a, a few things. One is it gives... It makes the players, I think, imagine what those senses are more so their their imagination can run wild with it without you having to explain as much. Uh, but also it can tie into some backstory stuff. If you're trying to have flashbacks and stuff like that, you could you could leverage this to to provide that. Mm -hmm. And any way that you can improve immersion of your PCs into your world and your campaign is a huge bonus. Yep. And before we really continue on to how to use those senses better in your descriptions, the one thing I want to want to just recap is remember that contrast is important to your descriptions as the descriptions themselves. So, if you are um, if if they're in an area and you're describing it one way and there's a significant change, having those descriptions beforehand that you can then contrast them with the descriptions after are very important. Because that sets the tone of like, this is different. This is not the same as what we've been dealing with. Um, and additionally, if you just start describing something where you haven't been doing a lot of details before, then the players are automatically clued in. Oh, this must be important because, because John has spent 30 minutes describing this whole, uh, not 30 minutes, but John <laughs> spent the last two minutes describing this hole and all the features of the hole. Uh, so we obviously know we need to go in there. Whereas if I had spent, time describing things coming up it would just be one more thing i was describing as part of the as part of the game mm -hmm. and by doing that it, it enables your players to have to make decisions instead of just taking cues from what the dm's saying all the time yep yeah it's it gets you away from doing some of that that more railroady stuff and having it be more about player agency and players making decisions and and deciding what to do, not based upon the one description you provided. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and players love figuring things out. If you never give them the opportunity to solve the, the puzzle, whatever that puzzle may be, it could be how to kill the orc or what to do about this hole, players love solving that puzzle. And if you make it too easy by accidentally dropping like a bunch of description on this hidden object that they're not supposed to really like know about it's gonna it's gonna remove the the fun of personal or pc discovery yep 
So let's go ahead and jump into our our senses that we're going to talk about and how to maybe address talking about the senses to have a little bit more depth there uh, for your descriptions. And the first one is sight. And the, the reason this is first is because this is the thing that is most frequently used in role-playing games to describe what's going on around you. If you walk into a room, the first thing players want to know is, what do I see in the room? Uh, <laughs> um, but because of that, I, I feel like DMs have a lot of space to grow here because we're so used to describing rooms or areas in a certain way that, and I'm speaking for me, um, that I have have sometimes just like not looked at expanding there because this is just how I do it. Let's move on. Uh, um, where there, there is a lot of room to grow, I think. Absolutely. You can always work on your descriptions and it's so easy for anybody to fall into patterns, right? And, and we do that. So it doesn't matter what your pattern is. If your pattern is always ornate dwarven stonework, then you know eventually that's not going to be uh, uh, that interesting of a description anymore and not every room is going to have the same stuff there's always going to be something unique um, in every room and that goes for sight uh, as well as all the other senses but every place is different and there's always going to be something that you can describe differently in this space as opposed to other spaces yeah and i think that we could probably have an entire episode on site if we wanted to. Uh, <laughs> um, as a result, we've kind of narrowed our topic down here a little bit to talk largely about um, site being used to describe inanimate things. So, and, and the first thing you have to do is obviously keep in, keep in mind the, the state of the matter. And I group, um, I group liquid and gas together kind of the same because they're both, uh, when you get down to like the the mechanics of it they're both kind of fluids uh air is a fluid that that just is in a different state than than water for instance so a lot of the questions you ask are going to be similar like how thick is the liquid or gas so if it's if it's water obviously that's easy to describe that it's like water um where maybe it's a little bit more viscous more thick uh uh substance like a mud or a paste or something like that and the gas can have the same thing too. So it could be a very faint gas that you could maybe barely see in the in the air around you, or it could be thick clouds of this black um, smoke that's that's hanging out there. Mm-hmm. Also, is it moving around? So with with water, it's really easy with with water and rivers. We spend a lot of time with uh, currents. You know, the rivers running south, and everybody. Oh, okay, that water is moving in this direction. But right. if you have other water, think of one of the most iconic movie things of uh, Jurassic Park. That that little cup of water, with yep. with the um, the impacts, boom. yeah, the boom, boom, boom. and it and it <laughs> it's such a strong moment in the movie. It's just lasted forever. You can have a little cup sitting anywhere and show people that, and people are immediately thinking about you know a big Tyrannosaurus Rex chasing Jeff Goldblum, right. <laughs> Um, but in, when you have gases, you can have a slight breeze, right? So maybe they're in a cavern and there's this, this gas that's come up, but it's, it's got this slight movement to it. And that, that in and, uh, in and of itself indicates 
um, a lot of information. So there's wind coming from somewhere. Where is it coming from? Is it moving slowly? Is it moving quickly? Is it, you know, going up? Like, is it an updraft, a downdraft? It can go lots of ways, and it indicates a lot of stuff about the environment. Yeah, and, and I mean, we're in the world of Pathfinder and Dungeons and & Dragons, so it could also be moving magically. So <laughs> uh, keep those things in mind as well as you describe it. It doesn't have to be a naturally occurring movement. It could be that it's swirling around this room so that it catches anybody that comes in there. <laughs> um. Uh- also think about the color. And, and I feel like this is something that, that we probably get pretty spot on a lot of the times. But but if we use a little bit more um, thought process to think about and describe the color, because it's easy to, to describe the water as like a murky brown uh, or, a, or a blue. Uh, but sometimes if you use a little bit more descriptor so yeah it's a murky brown but you, you every so often see this this uh this little hint of a of a greenish color um you could signify something like there's plant life underneath the water that comes to the surface every so often or, or something like that so don't just think of it as a single color because most things out there aren't just a single color no, there's lots of different things blending into other things. And when you when you start involving light, right, because you can get light reflecting off of things and it can make the colors change or um, shift, you know, depending on where, because not all gases or liquids are as thick in one spot as they are in another spot. And so it can it can really become this whole moving thing. It's like living and breathing thing. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then beyond that, uh, do, how does it interact with light? Does the light reflect off of it? Does it kind of pass through it so you can see through it a little bit? Uh, and, and that kind of ties in with the color somewhat. But you could have like a nice little shine on the water. Like when you look out at the ocean when it's really bright and, and like you get little sparkles on the on the water, that's really just a matter of it reflecting the light. And it adds like a... Uh, there's senses that get added to that. So if you're standing on the beach and you're looking out across the water and the light is glistening off of all these different points, it kind of gives it a magical atmosphere as mm-hmm. opposed to saying, you know, the there's no light reflecting off of the water. You know, it, even if it's nighttime, water looks black, whether it's clear or not at nighttime. But mm-hmm. in the moonlight, if nothing's reflecting off of it, that uh, <laughs> that would be creepy. <laughs> And it could be part of your story that it it's not for some reason. So just because um, just because it doesn't reflect off it doesn't mean it's bad. It just means that that if as long as you've taken the time to think about it, then then hey, good on you. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so moving on from liquids and gases, then you have your final state of matter, which is solid, right? Which is a lot of objects that we interact with on a day to day. So. Like, what's the color? Again, we're going to move back into color because color is such a massive spectrum and nothing is usually one color. I know a lot of times somebody say, well, you see a blue door, right? But is it entirely blue or is it like it's it's a blue door that's been, you know, it's it's worn away around the handle, you know, from it being opened time and time again over the past mm-hmm. 400 years the door's old it's got deep scratches in it where you can see the mahogany showing through you know and and so you can add different colors different textures into what they're looking at yeah and that that all goes into 
uh, some other questions about the solid that you can use site to describe, like, does it look well-maintained uh, or well-used for that matter? Uh, as we're talking about the door, maybe there's gouges where, where people have just run into it with various stuff that never got repaired. So maybe it looks poorly maintained or, or, or just well-used. And what are the textures that can be seen without touching it? Because we're going to talk a little bit about texture later. But even by looking at something, you can see that, hey, it looks like this door's surface is very rough from years of use and having having transport carts bumped into it and stuff like that. Um, so keep those things in mind as you're doing the site description, because they will play into if they want to go and like feel up the door. Uh, <laughs> um, no, if they want to go up and, and touch the door and like search for clues or anything like that, and we keep on saying a door, but it's really any object, um, then that that site can inform the touch um, moving forward. We'll talk about that here next in a little bit. So, Yeah. And so as long as we're still working on like site, um, playing back into what I said before is just like, and what you said about maintenance and stuff like that is not everything is always going to be in pristine condition. So mm -hmm. whether you're talking about a door or maybe a garment that somebody's wearing, I know a lot of time I, I definitely fall into this. Um, in my mind, everybody's just wearing like, hey, I just bought this at Walmart and put it on. And <laughs> I just got this off the rack. <laughs> yeah, this is brand new. And so like, but but clothes get dirty, clothes get ripped, clothes get stained, drapes get stained, carpets, and those can be used as clues. They can be used to set a scene where these people, you know, this place gets really rowdy. There's a lot of stains in here. There's a lot of damage or this place is immaculately clean, but there's this one stain over here. And so you can, you can use um maintenance i guess as as uh, an indicator for what's happening in your scene yeah and and those those stains could be inane details or they could be a clue to the quest that the that uh, the party's on as you mentioned there's there's this one stain in this one area over here that may be a clue to be like hey you should check out over here <laughs> <laughs> Or use it to introduce somebody because the stain is like brand new and somebody's running in with like a bucket of water and this is a person mm -hmm. you can now talk to because we've introduced them to the scene in a nice natural way. Yep. I like how you go positive and I go negative on a lot of these things. I'm thinking like somebody got killed there and there's a stain from them dying. <laughs> I was just like, oops, party, party foul. <laughs> we got to clean this up. <laughs> So um, let's move on to touch next. I like I said, we could spend all day long on 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 really any of these. We're just trying to give a a little bit deeper uh, understanding of how we can improve those those descriptions. Maybe we'll come back and do a do a follow up on this. But uh, moving on to touch, uh, I would say the first thing to remember is that touch isn't just the things that the character intentionally touches. So it could be things like how the air feels on their skin, uh, like there's a chill in the air or how their clothes cling to their skin with the mixture of swampy humid air and and their sweat and and so it's not always like hey i want to reach out and i want to like uh inspect this sphere and, and see if there's any hidden compartments on it or anything like that it could just be like this is the environment that you're in Mm -hmm. Like the breeze, you can feel a breeze, or if you're standing close to a fire, you can feel the heat. I've been too close to fires before where you think you're fine, and then all of a sudden your shins, you feel like they're like in the fire. You're, oh, I got to back up. Um, yep. And so you can describe uh, the touch with, with temperatures, right? So 
it not everything's just hot or cold, right? So when you're using words to describe, uh, use words that describe the gradients of temperature. So mm -hmm. there's a big difference between, well, actually, I guess in our skit above, you know, we're in a hot cavern versus, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you, you are in an active volcano. You, your flesh basically feels like it's melting off of you. You can't be in here for very long. Uh, that there's there's a massive difference between you know a slight hot, chill in the breeze and stifling. And <laughs> your, your fingers feel fuzzy because they're turning black and falling off. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and really, for any of the descriptions that that we will talk about, that's a key takeaway. Is is remember that there's more than just a handful of descriptors for any of the things that you might experience, whether it's uh, color, as we were talking about before, or temperature that we're talking about now, or, or really anything that's out there. So keep that in mind. Uh, but moving forward with touch, the other thing that you want to uh, talk about there is the texture when they do actually decide, I'm going to touch something, or something touches them. Um, is it rough or smooth? Is uh, is whatever they're touching bumpy? Are there like little nodules on it? Uh, is it wavy? Does it have some sort of a, a warping to it? Is it maybe soft or spongy? And, and soft or spongy could be like rotted wood. It could be like traipsing through mud, uh, thick, viscous mud, something like that. Um, so keep in mind all of the different ways that that when you experience the world, things feel differently when you touch them. And you can use that in uh, <clears throat> in a way to kind of highlight other stuff. Is if if you if they're going to go touch a table, right? You can use your descriptors to point out very interesting things by the table being soft and spongy. <laughs> it's like what? <laughs> <laughs> that shouldn't be. And so you can you can play with your textures a bit. They don't always need to be exactly what they would be in real life. One of the many benefits to magic. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I, I think that I think that when you describe things, it's important to keep in mind that that not everything you have that you're going to describe should be expected. There should definitely be some things occasionally that are whoa, the table's spongy. Whoa, whoa, whoa. tell you got to tell me more about that. Uh, <laughs> taking players off guard is is one of the ways that you can kind of make the game more exciting for them because it's something that they didn't expect and weren't really thinking that they would see there it also helps build into the fantasy aspect of what everything's everything's doing if everything in your game is always exactly like it is in real life um well <laughs> i guess just well, why are go you to playing the game <laughs> pay taxes and do all that regular stuff you're doing anyways <laughs> Um, so another thing, when we're like, I know you mentioned, is it is it uh, thick or viscous like mud when you're like traipsing through things? But you can also talk about the rigidity of uh, an object or a substance or whatever when you're touching it. Um, so like, say you're walking across a beam, you know, um, is it is it a good solid beam? Is it going to flex underneath a certain amount of weight? You know, like can the halflings go across it? But maybe not so much some of your other characters <laughs> yeah and that that flexing can can like throw players for a loop They're like oh i don't know if i should get on that bridge um actually this past week i was i was at a place that um it was kind of like an in, indoor rainforest habitat kind of thing and and part of it there was a, a bridge that you could go across and every single person i saw that 
go on that bridge would take a couple steps and then they'd be paused and be like a little bit freaked out because the boards had just a little bit of a give to them was perfectly safe but and and there was something under it in case something did happen but every step there was a little bit of a give and that just uh again made everybody hold on i don't know if i want to go here (laughs) it can definitely add a sense of uh of oh uh a doubt it can add a sense of doubt to what you're doing especially like as the dm describes it you know when you take a step you can feel the be- the board bend slightly beneath your feet yep. and players immediately are like oh no oh no <laughs> and they We're start doing die. investigation <laughs> checks and it's like well as far as you can tell you'll be fine and they're like i don't trust myself i don't i don't, don't want to die <laughs> <laughs> And those are those are best when they roll low, and you tell them that because it was a really low DC, and they still don't trust themselves. <laughs> yeah, it can get it can get pretty exciting. Yep. Do you like quests? If so, I have good news for you. Darkwind, the sponsor of this episode of Becoming DM, is full of quests for your character to pursue. Whether it's finding the components to make a potion, dealing with the town bully, assembling an ancient artifact, or just finding a collar for the local stray, there are a lot of quests to check out. And they're all ranked by level, so you know what you're getting into before you start off. You can play Darkwind and check out all of the quests for free. Just go to play.darkwind.org to start your character today. Now let's get back to the show. All right, so let's move on to the next sense. We're going to talk a little bit about smell now. And I I like if you can if you can integrate smell into your game in a way that that's meaningful. I really like it because it can tie so frequently to other senses, especially taste, uh but but I I feel like smell is very closely tied to memory as well. So leveraging this in your game can be I think huge for um, for those descriptors, and I'll say that a trap that I kind of get into from time to time is is players will go into an area and I will describe it and I will describe one smell, <laughs> and and it's the predominant smell and it's the it's the thing that I want to have them experience from the area, but. I, 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 on doing a little bit of research into this episode, I kind of started thinking that it could be a lot more impactful if they didn't just smell one smell, but they smelled multiple kinds of smells. And sometimes they could be completely contrasting, um, um, and, and unexpected, uh, for that, for that matter. And that can actually have a bigger impact than just smelling the one bad smell, for instance. Oh yeah, it can completely change the atmosphere. Like if they're walking through a city and they just they're standing, you know, passing an alley that's full of trash. You know, everybody's kind of been stashing it there for a while. And uh, but right across the street is is a vendor that just is going by, and they've got uh, all these beautiful bouquets of fresh flowers just picked this morning up for sale, and they smell wonderful. But so you have these two smells mixing as they cross across you. It's like a little bit of you wants to gag, a little bit of you wants to smell more. It's like, oh, I want to smell that again. (laughs) But, you know, like every other whiff, it's like 
like either good or bad. So you're playing like smell roulette. <laughs> yep. And it it doesn't have to be that contrasted. If you were in a dungeon, you could smell one thing, but have a hint of something else that maybe is a clue to something else that's going on in here, rather than it just being, oh yeah, that's the smell of the of the bullywog down there or whatever. <laughs> mm-hmm. Be a clue or a warning. The smell of sulfur. Um, so another thing is how strong are the smells, right? Yep. And so if you're if you're standing right next to a turd, it smells like a lot, right? You can it's it's pretty easy to identify where it is. It's right there. You can smell it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but if it's farther away, like some things smell potent enough that you can smell them from a ways away, depending on wind and stuff like that. And you can find locations um, like a, like a nest, right? Nests for creatures who are nesting creatures. Um, tech, typically around the area, it's going to be less clean than people would hope, right? And so mm-hmm. you can you can find some of these areas just from smell alone. And you can help lead players through caverns. You know, to find, you know, this this nest of gross things. You know, it's like, well, it smells really terrible to the left, you know, and you can kind of smell that. It smells like fresh sea breeze on the right, you know, <laughs> and so, and they have to choose which way to go. But you can indicate how far they are from something and kind of like a rough direction, I guess. Yeah, and if you if you leverage this, if your players get into it, it they can use that to try and find what something is even if it was something that was kind of inane side questy like to your to your game they could be like oh that smell smells awful i have to find out what that is <laughs> <laughs> yeah you can get some pretty interesting smells going on yeah uh the other thing to think about when it comes to smell is what is the air quality like uh is there a bunch of dust in the air that's flying around or maybe uh noxious fumes or or is it really clean air um and and I feel like this kind of can sometimes pair well with with touch just because dust in the air you'll kind of feel a, a little bit of a grit for for example and once you have that understood you probably should ask, how does the smell make the characters feel, right? Yeah, a lot of times, like, some smells can be really bad and make you feel physically ill. Uh, and that's that's just a plain and simple fact. If you smell something really bad, you can get ill because of it, um, which can make people ga- gag or vomit, stuff like that. Yep. And uh, a lot of times you can have, I, well, I've I've had fun with it before, you know, getting people to make constitution saves or fortitude checks. <laughs> it's like, I don't know how long you're going to be able to stay down here. Let's let's uh, see how strong your stomach is. You know, yeah, the, I, I think it was <laughs> was the uh, was the first game that I was playing with Malcolm and he had us going into this place where there were just feces all over the place and he had everybody roll uh, a constitution saving throw. And if you failed it, you basically threw up. There wasn't any real consequence to, to failing it. It was just adding another layer of description to the game that wouldn't have been there otherwise. So I, of course, failed the constitution th- saving throw. It was throwing up over people's shoes. <laughs> <laughs> it should be an additional constitution save after that. After somebody throws up, it should trigger another constitution save from other players. <laughs> to see if there's like sympathetic that. vomiting. <laughs> <laughs> 
But, I mean, it doesn't have to always just make players feel sick, right? I mean, the smells can make them feel safe or calm. There's a lot of things out there that that uh, that will make people feel safer or calmer. There's some, like, lavender oil kind of stuff that people use to help them get to sleep at night sometimes. So sometimes it can, can make you feel safe or calm. Uh, but it also could make you feel anxious uh because it's maybe it's a smell from the from the character's past that that you're leveraging that like that was a bad experience in their past and now they have anxiety about what's going to happen the same type of anxiety that that i think most people would feel if all of a sudden you started smelling like gasoline but you're nowhere near where you should smell gasoline it's like Mm -hmm. uh duh this this shouldn't be happening is something gonna explode (laughs) i'm not okay with this and yeah, it can make you feel a little bit uneasy and you can leverage that to to build your players again more immersive into your scene. Yep. So, let's talk a little bit about sound next and and uh sound is one of those it, it's one of the ones that I feel like is something that you can spend a lot of time describing, but it's also something you can integrate into your game. Um it's good for setting moods and tension levels if you have uh if you're if you're bringing sound in uh um, where you go from this like rowdy tavern and you walk out and like suddenly it's deathly quiet not even uh the sound of animals around or anything like that can really again looking into that contrast i think it can really set the the mood and the level of tension that the that the players are going to feel playing the game Absolutely. That's why, like, all movies have full-blown soundtracks and music scores and all this other stuff. It's not even just the sound of, you know, a door creaking open. It's it's imperceptible a lot of times that uh, you'll be watching a scene and you won't really realize that they've, like, cued in this, this smooth music that's coming in and, and it, it's affecting your feelings. Not that it's you can't really describe that you can't you can't be like <laughs> all of a sudden a soothing tune comes out because then everybody's going to think that there's a bard somewhere trying to mess with people, um, but you can use that uh, like through making a setting of your own playing actual music in the background quietly or loudly depending on the situation. Yeah, but getting back to describing the sounds, I think mm-hmm. that it's important to think about uh, about a lot of different things including the volume of the sound how loud or quiet is it uh and and that can can inform the players of what they may be looking for um and how easily they'll be able to hear it and are there people in the party that will be able to hear it and people that won't be able to hear it that's i think a big thing too yeah you can have half the party hear this light scratching sound over to the left you know, and so some people want to go that way, even though the whole party had just decided everything was going to happen to the right. And uh, there's one person who's like, no, no, we need to go this way because they've got a really good listen check, hearing check, perception, whatever it is. And uh, and from that is what direction is the sound emanating from, right? So whether they can hear it or not, sure, you can hear it, but where is it coming from? So are we trying to maybe draw the party to go left at this intersection instead of going right? Uh, what sounds are coming from which spot? If they're looking for the local blacksmith um, and they can hear a hammer pinging to the right, that's they're probably going to go to the right. Yep. And one of the things that I like about, about having certain characters here and not is just because... 
If you have a way, it, so I think that you can do some really interesting things if you have a way to communicate with those players that the rest of the table doesn't hear. So uh, whether it's by check or by the fact that this is an elf and this is a human and these guys just have better hearing or whatever, if you can communicate to the person that hears it without the other players seeing you communicate it, I think it can make make things really interesting. Um <laughs> that's that's just me it's it's hard to get to that point though <laughs> yeah it's a difficult um, thing to do like in person yeah uh but the other things you need to ask about the sound is like does it sound familiar to the to the characters uh, is it something again tying back into that memory uh is it something from their past is it something that they just they've heard at other parts of your adventure so they're they're now uh understanding what that sound means so um having that as if you continue if you start out describing sounds in your in your campaign and you continue to do that then if you use the same ways to describe it then the players will start to realize it's familiar without you even having to tell them that it's familiar Mm -hmm. and you can also use familiar sounds to describe uh, non-familiar things. So mm-hmm. if if there's something, and you know that nobody in the party has ever encountered it before, um, and they hear wailing, right? It's like it sounds like the wailing of like a, a cat, you know, uh, going on over here. They've never encountered this banshee or whatever it is before, and so. But as far as the party knows, it sounds kind of like a cat. It's kind of like a cat, but like maybe a big cat. I don't know. <laughs> but but they've never encountered. A cat. <laughs> <laughs> this was not a cat. They've never encountered the the actual bad scary thing, and so you can't be like, oh, you hear a banshee wail. But if they've never heard a banshee wail, then they don't know what that is, and so they would approximate it to the most familiar noise that they've heard in that regard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the other thing to do I is is leverage the fact that not everything has the same level of volume and use that when you describe it. So even if you're not saying it's a quiet sound, you could say you hear a whisper over in the corner. And and you don't even have to say that you hear a quiet whisper. You just like you dropped your voice to where it's harder to hear and and suddenly it's like, "Oh, there's somebody whispering quietly over there. We should go check it out. <laughs> <laughs> An amazing way to get people to listen is to whisper because it mm-hmm. forces everybody to be quiet and try to hear what you're saying. And it, and it really gets every, the whole table will just focus in on what you're doing. Um, yep. It, it brings a lot to the table. It actually really does. Yep. And I, I think that one of the things that you need to do when you're when you're describing sound, when you're talking about sound in the game, is understand where that sound is coming from, uh, what it's passing through to get to the players. So, is it muffled? Is it clear? Is it somewhere in between? Um, is there some sort of echoing going on when they hear it? Uh, having all that stuff in mind can help you describe the sound a lot better to where the players understand not only what it is but where it's coming from. Mm-hmm. And again, like more with sound is how does the sound feel, right? Because there's a lot of sounds out there that, you know, high, high pitched noises, they can really hurt your ears when when you can hear this this horrible sound. <laughs> so there's there's a lot of sounds that come with 
with a feeling to them as well. So we're, we're again, mixing, you know, audio into touch here a little bit, but, uh, when you hear like uh, a lot of bass, right? Like a heavy bass sound, which doesn't necessarily need to be, you know, like um, Skrillex, you know, it can be like, (laughs) (laughs) it can be like a lion. Have you, like, if you've ever stood in front of a lion who's roaring, their roar is so bassy. You can feel it in your bones. It's crazy. And you can add that to your description of, you know, this, this thing, it's right in front of you. It let, it belts out this, this loud roar. You can feel the bass moving through your skin. You can feel it rattle the bones in your body. It's so loud. And, Mm -hmm. uh, and that can really ramp up a, a, a description. Yeah, absolutely. Um, think about like explosions and they're, they have a lot of, I don't know that most people would necessarily consider it bass, but they've got a lot of bass. They, they can, they can, um, that can make your, your body feel it. Um, but also does it feel relaxing? Uh, and that relaxing could be something in a non-magical way, but it could also be something where somebody's using magic to, to make the sound make you relax. Yeah. <laughs> Bards looking at you guys. Cause you can have <laughs> just somebody sitting in a corner strumming on a lute. You're falling asleep. It's like, is this because the atmosphere is nice or, you know, is it, is it that guy's fault? Yep. <laughs> Always blame it on the bard. Always. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's move on to the last, uh, last, um, sense that we're going to talk about today. And that is taste. Um, in, I I think it's important to point out that that while it's easy to think this way, taste doesn't just happen when you're eating or drinking something or licking something. Um, I say that just because I know that one of my players at some point will lick something in the game, and it's just going to be a thing. Uh, yeah, I, I've got a I've got a player at the table who licks everything too. <laughs> um, but yeah, you can have lots of of flavors. Um, air air itself can have taste to it right mm-hmm. um so if you're if you're around some like the ocean or something right the air can actually taste salty there, there's enough of it in the air that it can trigger your taste senses yep or the the acrid taste of something burning that that really shouldn't be burnt stuff like that mm-hmm. and you can also get a lot of of tastes from um your body's reaction to stuff right and so if if maybe your food isn't sitting right, you're going to get, you know, a, a not so pleasant taste in your mouth. Um, if you're really stressed, if you're scared, um, it's it's going to, you're going to taste uh, metallic. You know, if you've taken damage, mm. maybe you've got a metallic taste in your mouth because somebody punched you in the face and, and you know, you're bleeding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, um And I think that's a great way to use it is if you're in combat and you're wanting to have combat be a little bit more interesting just than you hit he hit you hit he hit you can use especially the the description of taste is like the blood going in your mouth and tasting metallic and 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 stuff like that to to make combat a little bit more than um it's just something to keep in mind it doesn't all have to be just when you're exploring all of these senses can be leveraged for combat it can be leveraged in in uh in uh role-playing encounters stuff like that Mm-hmm. And uh, just as far as, you know, you can get blood in your mouth. Uh, another thing that can happen is uh, if you're in like a really hot environment, if you're sweating a lot, uh, whether you're fighting or, or adventuring or what have you, um, 
if you're sweating a lot, sweat can get onto your lips, right? And that can eventually work its way into your mouth. And so you can taste the sweat from the heat because it's been so hot. You can taste your own sweat or that sweat. If it's running down your face, um, anything that's been in the air, right? So dirt or sand or bits of moss because you're going through a dusty forest, you know, all that stuff can end up in your sweat, in your mouth, and they'll be able to taste that as they're going as well. It's a flavor explosion. (laughs) (laughs) Now, we've been talking about non-food stuff, but of course the players can still eat food and you can provide descriptions that are going to enhance that experience. Um, I know in a lot of cases, my players will eat things and it's just it's just kind of hand-waving because it doesn't necessarily play as much into the story. But if you have them having some sort of a um, a feast with a with a noble or something like that, you may want to describe it because it may be food that is outside of the norm of what they would normally eat. I'm thinking trail rations and stuff like that. So um, I, I think it can be important to describe food depending upon the situation. And when you think about that, you need to think about... Um, I, I think this is something you just think about how you would describe food when you're eating it. So what's the consistency? Is it thick? Is it runny, clumpy? Is it uh, gritty, like where where it's not supposed to be, for instance? <laughs> <laughs> Do not want. Um, yeah, it can, <laughs> it can be hot or cold or just, you know, body temperature because, you know, you've pulled this this thing out of your pocket after you've been walking for 14 hours. Um, you know, but is it uh, sweet or tart or savory? There's all these different flavors and stuff. Like you've experienced food before. It's pretty easy to just kind of picture the food and decide, pre-decide if it's a good food or bad food, rough Mm. temperature, and you're pretty much good to go. Um, but along with that, we've been talking about, uh, things bringing back memories and food can bring back memories too. Uh, Whether that's for your PCs, you know, part of their backstory, it's like, oh, that tastes exactly like that time you found a salamander on the side of the road and ate it when you were four. (laughs) This food reminds me of the last meal I had with my dad before he left us. Um, (laughs) Yeah, it gets a little dark. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) You can use food to to also um, evoke feelings, right, with those with those memories. And so just use your descriptions only bring in really descriptions of food when you need to. Like you don't need to go overboard, but you can use them to kind of set a tone for for the atmosphere and the mood and the scene. You know, is is if if the food's really bland, it's going to make everything a little bit more bland. <laughs> yeah, um, absolutely. Um, so, do we want to jump into tools and tips now? Yeah, you bet. All right. So, I I, I think. I, I want to make sure that we cover this one first. Um, so Adam, Adam Kapitoff, who recommended this episode idea, he also included a recommendation of one thing that he does to improve his descriptions, which I love that he did that. Uh, so he says that he recommends having a guide for wine tasting that describes uh, the notes that one may encounter when tasting wine. So that could be the smell, the, the bouquet of the wine, and uh, and the taste or mouthfeel or, or all that stuff. It could also have some color description there as well because um, when you get into wine tasting, you can... You can um, there's a lot of different uh, color descriptors you can use to describe the wine. So a lot of different areas that you can leverage a wine tasting guide to 
uh, beef up your uh, your descriptions, right? Absolutely. Even if you just use it for potions, you know, mm-hmm. this is this is my guide for uh, potion tasting. um but you can there's lots and lots and lots of of uh, resources out there for finding um because uh writers they exist they do stuff there's lots of courses out there to help them hold on writers exist (laughs) they do i know how is this possible it's i've (laughs) I've seen libraries they're like full of (laughs) of this stuff and uh but you can there's lots of classes and resources out there um about how to improve your descriptors and writing. And as much as we might not write all of this stuff down, we do say it out loud. Uh, yep. Like, depending on your level of preparation, you might write everything down. I don't know. <laughs> I, I find that, that I usually don't, but there are situations where I know that this is an encounter that they will eventually have, so I want to get all of the d- d- descriptors right. So I will write down some some pointers for when I get to that point so I can look it up and be like, oh, yeah, okay, got it, and then then make it up from there. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something that, that if you've got something where those descriptors play a key role in the story or the clues or whatever, I recommend doing that. Um, but regardless, and- there there are a lot of tools for writers out there that help them describe things. So I, in, in doing some research for, for this episode, I found a, a blog from Masterclass that talked about how to describe the sense of smell in writing. And I'm sure that they probably have the other senses as well. I just didn't look farther than that. And, and then they also have a list of like 20 or 25 adjectives that you can use um, to describe smell that may be a little bit uh, different than what you're using right now. So that's like a nice starting point there, I think. Oh yeah, there's tons of courses and books out there. If you if you want to dig really deep into working on your descriptions, there's there's a, a limitless avenues to take as far as course courses go. Um, yep. But another thing, you don't have to do courses. Wait, you can. You don't have to, um, but you can. You can use props to enhance your descriptions. So I mentioned briefly before about uh, as far as sound goes, you can have you can bring in your own musical score. Um, you know, and just have it playing lightly in the background. I know that there's a lot of apps that you can get that have sounds built into them that you can use. Uh, you can also use props for smells, right? And so, like, I had a campaign once where the smell of fish really only happened at, like, when the big bad was around, but he's skulking around. And so <clears throat> I would have, like, a can of, of uh, sardines, <laughs> Uh, next to me and without anybody hearing when it was kind of approaching that time I would just like crack it open a little bit and so there was there was this like really bad smell of fish that would just and all of a sudden people would be like do you smell fish but it it brings people to the table it brings a level of realism to it when you can kind of blend props into your into your actual game yeah and uh, just to add to that you can also do sight and touch type props so uh, I think I've mentioned a few times before that I will 3D print or buy things at the store that look like they are, are uh, items that I would have in my game. And I'll give those to the players. They they can see it. They can see what it looks like. They can manipulate it and touch it. Um, so 
obviously these things aren't descriptions, but they are a way to um, to have the player form their own descriptions in their own mind with you doing a little bit less legwork there, maybe a little bit more for finding the props. But it's uh, it's definitely something that you can do there. Mm-hmm. And another thing that you can do is go... Like, I mean, we all have experiences that we can draw from and you can go have more experiences. So if you know that your players are headed to a dark wood, right, Um, maybe just, you know, pack a backpack with a flashlight and just go stand in dark woods for like five minutes. That's all it takes to be sufficiently freaked out. Um, to, <laughs> you know, and you'll be able to describe that scenario way better when you're like no no like it's it's a, it's like dark it's clammy and all those bad things are happening and you're starting to freak out a little bit because you don't know where it's coming from yeah and even if you don't have the vocabulary that you want to have to describe this stuff if you jot some notes down in the way that you best know how to describe it you can always come back to that and leverage the good old thesaurus or or dictionary to find words that are a better fit for the the feeling of your game to get in there i mean don't go overboard don't be like uh i'm i'm thinking of uh of joey and friends where he signed his his name baby tribiani baby <laughs> kangaroo tribiani because he used a uh, thesaurus on his name uh, <laughs> but but um write it down whatever way makes sense to you and you can always come back to it and revise it based upon additional vocabulary that you may may gather yeah that's the best part about working on some stuff ahead of time like when you know that this this is definitely something that's going to happen this is our climax it's something that you probably want to start working on a little bit beforehand get your descriptors in um, but a lot of times, even if, like if you're not working on your big, big finale kind of idea, um, and you just have your party wandering around, the best thing that you can do, even if you just need a second while your party's talking, close your eyes and just picture it yourself for a moment and describe it exactly as you feel like it would be. So you're, it's like, I know that they're in the sewers. So I close my eyes and I picture myself, I'm in a sewer. What do I hear? What do I smell? It's not good. It's horrible. I did this once with a, a character, a, like an NPC that was in a sewer. He's living, he's kind of a little bit of a golem type character. And I described the scenario exactly as it was. There's not a lot of light. He was off in the shadows. And my description was so, so intense and so so dark and dingy because of the location that they were. My party actually became completely terrified of this really friendly NPC who just lived in the (laughs) sewers (laughs) and no one would talk to him ever. He had like a bunch of information that would have helped them, (laughs) but nobody was ever brave enough to go talk to him because the, the scene itself was just too creepy. It overwhelmed the players and they just wouldn't deal with it. Yeah. And sometimes having that contrast, the, this is a good person that you might want to talk to in a bad location that really is 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 kind of seedy doesn't seem like something that you should go into having that can really be um interesting because it it makes your players have to decide based upon what they think your plot is they have to really evaluate the situation and be like do we move forward or not and maybe they'll make wrong choices and that's okay um that's that's still fun, a fun part of the game yeah, that's what it's all about, is giving your players choices and seeing what happens. Yep. Well, I think that's all we wanted to talk about today. I know there's a ton more we could spend on improving your descriptions, but we wanted to give a little bit deeper than last time, but but not so deep as we're having a five-hour conversation. <laughs> uh, so 
Um, thank you again for joining us. And until uh, next time, stay, stay nerdy, nerdy, friends. friends. Thanks for joining us again. Make sure to share the show with friends to help grow our audience. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash becomingdm. On Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest, we are Becoming DM. And our website is becomingdm.com. Becoming DM is produced by John Welsh and Danielle Tremblay. The show is edited by John Welsh. We'll be back in two weeks. See you then.